Hello, and welcome to Impact the Borough, a podcast from the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. I'm Brent Christensen, the president and CEO of the Chamber. Each week, we'll highlight what we're doing to start and grow businesses, create quality jobs, and develop our workforce. We'll also check in with our community partners to share inspiring stories and important information from across our community. This podcast is brought to you by TrueLiant Federal Credit Union, a modern, mission-driven financial institution focused on the needs of its members, the businesses it serves, and our community. With five locations in Guilford County, including a dedicated commercial lending office at Friendly Center and a highly rated mobile banking app, TrueLiant makes it their business to help you grow yours. Visit TrueLiant.org for more information. Hello, everyone. This is Nikita Green, Vice President of Leadership, Diversity, and Inclusion for the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. A little over a year ago, shortly after the murder of George Floyd, hundreds of Greensboro residents signed the Greensboro Against Racism Pledge. And we committed to becoming agents of change and holding ourselves and our fellow community members accountable. I'll actually take a moment and just read Um, a brief part of that that pledge, and it reads, we cannot stand by silently while across our country and right here at home, people continue to be targeted and endangered based on their skin color. We've come together, business leaders, community leaders, and clergy of all faiths to join our voices in protest against the inherent inequalities in our country's institutions and policies. Um, This pledge included Um, commitments to forge um, friendships and relationships and partnerships to create real bonds of community, to work together to be agents of change, to recognize our personal biases and a number of other things. Uh, So today I'm here with a diversity, equity and inclusion expert, Jada Monica Drew, to talk about how people across um, across Greensboro and across the country have lived out um, that pledge and pledges that are similar to that, and the work that still needs to be done to make our community an equitable place for people of color. So Jada, thank you for joining us, and I'd love for you to introduce yourself and tell us about you and social designs. Hi, Nikita. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about the conversation today. Um, So Social Designs is a leadership and diversity firm. Um, We serve as a catalyst for individual and organizational growth. And that growth is customized through client-centered consulting, strategic planning, training, facilitation, coaching, and also online courses. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, for joining us. I'm familiar with your work, so I know that you do a lot in this space. Um, before we get um, into just finding out some insights from you, I just wanted to share that um, here in Greensboro, we've actually, um, at the Chamber and the City of Greensboro, have done a number of things in the past year um, to kind of start to working on um, that pledge. And so, for example, the City of Greensboro has a um, something called the Race Initiative, Mm-hmm. And that stands for Reflecting on and Considering Experiences. Um, that initiative included a number of policy changes that, um, that came about as a result of, of the initiative. And at the Chamber of Commerce, we've done a number of things, including implementing a new program um, called Other Voices, executive program, to give an opportunity for some chief leaders and organizations to really dive into discussion and, and 
and dialogue around diversity and inclusion and the isms in our community. Uh, we've implemented a new program to, um, to address some, um, some disparity among minority businesses. We uh, facilitated a three-day discussion uh, called One City, One Film, where we joined together and watched a film together that dealt with um, race and disparity. So there's a number of things just between our two organizations that we've done to kind of address those things. Um, so the conversation about anti-racism was at a groundswell and DEI professionals became incredibly busy. So uh, did you begin to get contacted immediately um, following the death of George Floyd? Um, have you seen an uptick in the demand for your services as a DEI trainer in the last year? You know, it's been, it's, it's amazing that it's been a year since um, the murder of George Floyd and just reflecting now, um, you know, as an individual during that moment, I feel like I was at a standstill. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. We're seeing this. I remember seeing it on my social media feed. I had to take a break because it was just horrendous to watch over and over and over again. And I think the world was at a standstill also, you know, wow, this is, this is happening. We're seeing it on film. We're trying to figure out as a, a community here locally, as well as nationally and internationally, like what to do. I think that many organizations were in the moment of, or in the, not necessarily the moment, I'll say in the process of developing, whether it's a DEI strategy or opportunities to connect specifically with, um, let's say their black communities through philanthropy or um, connect black communities through understanding business um, similar to the chamber. And so to me, the, the, the uptick, it didn't come immediately because people were sitting in, what do we do? And it was during a pandemic. So a lot of people were not working. People were uh, anxious in general, just about the, the health of the world. So I think there were lots and lots of component, components that made people just kind of sit still. And then there was an uprising, many, many, many uprisings. Um, people were sharing via, um, via art. I remember walking through um, Greensboro uh, about a month or two after and just seeing the, the murals that were all over the city of people expressing their hurt, but also expressing the, the need to come together and watching some of the things that you've mentioned, you know, come about, whether it's the one city, one voice, whether it's the, the pledge and seeing so many different people just wanting to learn more and help. And so over about, I would say about a, the course of a couple of months, people were in the mode once again of figuring it out. And so after a couple of months, I began to um, definitely receive lots of inquiries. People were, you know, after they released statements, we, you know, don't agree with what happened with George Floyd and we want to do something. And the do something, it just expanded from, we just wanna talk, we wanna give people opportunity to talk and express themselves to, we wanna incorporate diversity, equity and inclusion in our strategy um, to, we want to you know, develop caucuses where people sit down and talk with their affinity groups and then come together. So it was a range of things. And I think, you know, a reason why I answered that question so long winded is because it was so much going on that I think as a as humans, we have to take the time to say, wow, we were experiencing a lot. 
And with the companies that, that reached out, like I mentioned, there were some companies who had been working in, the, in diversity, equity, and inclusion. There were some who started, but there was a standstill. And there were other organizations who had no clue. Many people didn't know what to do. But the catalyst, which is something that I always wanted to keep center and still keep center to today, is the catalyst of all of that movement, all of the, the what people are calling the racial reckoning, was because a Black man was murdered. And we'd seen it multiple times. And so then there became a, you know, a, I think a need to support the, the Black community. And now we are still doing that. Also, people wanting to engage in more diversity, equity, and inclusion. So my short answer to your question is yes. Um, but there was, a, I think, a process leading up to it. And still, you know, people are wanting to um, engage in the conversation because of that moment last year. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm so glad you gave the long-winded version first <laughs> because it, um, it, when we reflect on it, um, it, was a, it was an incredibly painful thing to experience, to watch, um, to be a part of, and to do that um, while in a pandemic was, um, was deeply, deeply impactful. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that, um, that, you know, there were a number of different things that companies wanted to do. And it sounds like there was a um, progression that they were, you know, started with conversations and led into other things. Um, what kinds of things that you engage in? Was that training? Was it coaching? Um, what kinds of things did you do? And, uh, and what have you seen are the biggest issues that employers were grappling with related to um, inclusion, equity, diversity, belonging? You know, people were asking for all of the above from training, consulting, um, coaching. Um, some people wanted to, you know, just take courses to learn. Some people reached out like, hey, what, what books can we read? We just want to do something. So most people just wanted to do something. And to be candid, a lot of leaders had no clue they didn't know what to do. There were some leaders who um, said, you know, we've been doing diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have training. We have a, you know, someone in that in that position, but this is different, and we have no clue what to do. People are are expressing their their hurt socially. They're also expressing hurt with our organization, and a lot of people were hearing a lot of these things for the first time. And luckily, our process with social designs, it was already, I think, um, the way that we do our work, because it's so custom and because there's a lot of discovery and a lot of evaluation before we work with clients, um, it was a, a really good opportunity for us to share that methodology with our clients and potential clients by first saying, what is the problem? Tell us more about your organization. Tell us more about the, the management structure. Tell us more about the culture. We ask tons of questions before we start to engage with people so that we clearly understand what it is that they want to do. Because there's a difference between wanting to create an inclusive environment because the current environment is toxic versus we want to have more people who are African-American within our organization. And so I think people were just trying to figure out where do we fall within this spectrum? And so, like I mentioned, part of our process, it starts with a discovery and really aligning people on what they mean when they say we want DEI. I always start with diversity is not a code word for everything that's not white, not, uh, U.S. citizen, not heterosexual, not all the things that you would in air quotes say are the majority. And so 
first align, first making sure that people are aligned in what we mean when we say diversity is so important in the conversation. Um, I truly believe, and, and just having been in the field um, almost 20 years, diversity is so much more than just everything that's not white. And we lean into the conversation, letting people know that first you have to understand that these, these terms and what they mean for your organization and take the time to educate, re-educate and redefine if necessary for your organization, what it means in action. And the, the process for moving forward for every organization is always different. You have to have the capacity if you wanna move into training. You have to be open to feedback if you want to have a consultant to come and basically open the door <laughs> to the closets of your organization to start asking you these questions about culture. And um, capacity is a huge thing. Also understanding um, how people manage in general is huge in our work. And I've learned that most times is that people haven't been trained to manage. And when you're not trained to manage, whether it's middle or upper, man upper management, there, there's a, a, huge, a, a huge floodgate, if you will, that opens up that, that allows for more un unpleasant and um, unhealthy bias to creep in because we all have it. And so you have to make sure that you're looking at every single component of the organization before you jump in and just say, oh, we wanna do DEI. So let's just slow down and figure out why do you need it and how do you, what do you even understand it to be? And most times the understanding across the organization is very, very different. So that alignment is so important. I love that approach. Uh, because I do think we were um, we were all grappling, you know, <laughs> we we're all struggling to like do something, and I think that's so important that you know that you take a pause and say, let's think about this. So let's be thoughtful about what we're doing. So I love that. I, I know that you worked a lot with um, with chief executives and key leaders in organizations, but I imagine um, you've heard from employees as well. Um, what what sentiments? have you heard from the employees themselves um, as you were going through this process with organizations? Some of the sentiments um, that, that we hear are, our organization talks the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And like I said, I ask a lot of questions. I always say, well, what does that mean? What kind of talk are they talking that doesn't match the walk that they are not walking? <laughs> and helping employees to actually articulate what that means. Because like I said, alignment is so important. So sometimes it's, there's a toxic culture and people are not able to express what they want in the workplace. Or there is a, um, uh, there, there is a lack of a certain area of diversity, whether it's in, um, let's say middle management, for example, may have um, tons of women. And then upper management, you may see more men. And it just depends on the field. So we work with organizations from federal agencies to schools, to municipalities, to architect uh, organizations, to um, mining organizations. So it just varies. But every organization, I think, at the very uh, employees specifically, the first thing I've seen is that people don't feel heard. And they haven't been given the skills to communicate with one another um, and their managers don't have the skills to listen 
Um, and a lot of times people don't listen to their managers because there's a perceived, whether it's a perceived power dynamic or um, people don't understand how the organization operates. So there's a communication gap there. And usually when you teach, when we teach people first how to have dialogue, all of those things that I just mentioned, plus possible opportunities to explore bias or discrimination, depending on areas of diversity, those things come out because people now have the tools to really articulate why an organization isn't walking the walk and they're just talking the talk. Um, and we do that through um, key dialogue principles. So we teach people how to have dialogue, um, work them through the process. A lot of times it's very, very, um, um, awkward to teach teach adults how to communicate and, and they feel awkward. Like we actually literally ask him, count how many times you're doing this principle, count how many times you're being curious, count how many times you're acknowledging your bias. And it feels extremely uncomfortable in the beginning, but the more you practice, I think it gives people the, the courage and it empowers employees to talk to their managers and vice versa. Um, we also break down um, what I think a lot of people say are um, microaggressions. So microaggressions are, are things that are explained in the field as, you know, things that people say that are inappropriate, but they're not, let's say, so inappropriate that you will go to HR. So it's more of, I, I would call them just cultural misunderstandings. That's what I call microaggressions. And mm -hmm. often people don't even talk about them. So one of the, I think, the most known microaggression, and maybe you've heard of this one, people say that, you know, you're not supposed to ask people about their hair, black women about their hair or touch <laughs> their hair. Mm -hmm. I personally have never had anybody try to touch my hair. They may ask questions about my hair and I'm fine to have conversations because hair is hair. However, having the, the dialogue principles to talk about those things or cultural cues, like for example, you know, your hair right now, Nikita, for example, looks like you have a twist out. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe maybe you have flat face. So I'm, I'm giving the audience a little bit of cultural cues about black hair. Right, um, right. I call my hair right now is a slick back. Just put a little gel on it <laughs> before, I, <laughs> before I might blow it out. And so to me, leaning into those cultural conversations are so much helpful than saying, oh, we shouldn't have these conversations at all because people are thinking it. So let's give them the tools to talk about it or give them the tools to say, I'd rather not talk about it because it's personal. So those are some of the things that I find are um, extremely helpful. And we, we um, have a, a tool that I never thought would be so um, um, impactful mm -hmm. in helping people just talk about culture. Because so many times when we're talking about race and racism or sexism, all these isms get in the way of us truly seeing who we are as humans and truly allowing, to, allowing us to give each other grace when we're talking about difference. And when we ask people to share about their traditions, their culture, their um, words and phrases, their like how they experience music and dance and conflict and competition and how do they feel about wealth, you know, working with philanthropic organizations, like then they lean into things that then move into talking about the culture of the organization. So it's like taking very, very baby steps that you would think we would do as humans, but I think we've been socialized so much not to talk about difference. At the same time, we've been socialized to celebrate difference. So I, I, I have, a, um, I would say a knack and I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to 
stepping into that nuance and helping people like see themselves as whole people and then sharing that with one another and simply asking questions and, and leaning into being brave and critical. Um, the whole concept of um, safe space to me is a bit overdone. Um, we're safe, we, we know how to you know, make sure that our bodies are taken care of, we can go use the bathroom, we can walk out of a room if we need to for safety, but we really need to lean into being brave and asking critical questions and being open to questions from other people and, and being emotionally intelligent. So when something is happening within the workplace, let's articulate it, but let's articulate it in a way that moves toward action. Um, and so I think offering up the leaders, the, just that word grace, has been very, very helpful in our work. Like lean into discomfort, give yourself and give your employees grace and room for people to, um, to make mistakes. That was another long-winded answer, but <laughs> it was helpful. <laughs> no, it's, it's a lot of nuggets in there, um, especially about grace, because that, that's necessary when you're having um, conversations that are different and, and unique. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, I wanna talk um, about the impact of everything that has transpired, um, in, in particular anti-racism racism conversations and trainings and coachings. Um, so on the NPR podcast, Code Switch, they featured um, recently, they talked about the, the racial reckoning and they featured researchers who, um, who found that actually um, sentiment towards um, Black Lives Matter, and, um, and, and toward disparity among black people had actually decreased um, or even lower um, post pandemics so on January of this year than they were um, before um, the, the death of George Floyd. Additionally, the creative investment research um, found that um, corporate pledges that um, were made last year to um, certain you know, certain black interest to economic development and and, um, and, dis and parity in the black community in particular, that those pledges haven't quite been fulfilled yet. Um, and so there is some, some thought at least that, that some of that impact hasn't been seen yet. And certainly it's been a short amount of time, but I, I would love to hear from you broadly as a community, as you have done this work, um, are we making progress and what positive changes um, have occurred in the past year? So I think, you know, are we making progress? That's one of the questions I've heard since I was probably like seven years old in the United mm -hmm. States. And to me, that question, is similar to when people talk about DEI. It's so um, not only broad, but it doesn't get to a, a specific um, question or a specific problem that we're trying to solve. So I say that to say, if we look locally, let's just start in Greensboro. We ask the question, are we making progress? Are we make, I then ask the question, are we making progress in the, um, in the amount of black businesses that we see? Are we making progress in the, um, uh, the number of black children that are graduating from high school? Are we making progress in um, the number of black entrepreneurs? Are we making progress in the infrastructure in black communities? So if we break down, I think as communities, when we ask questions like that, we need to be more specific. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, I didn't say black graduation compared to a 
group? Because I think the progress question, once again, is so convoluted and we have to be very specific. So to answer your question, um, I'll say, we'll need to first identify what progress are we talking about? Are people getting along better? I don't know. It just depends on what organization you're talking about. Um, if I use the chamber as an example, I um, was able to participate in the inner city visit with um, tons of leaders in the, in, the organ in, the, in the city and outside of the city. And I learned uh, so much about East Greensboro now and um, invest Greensboro and the, the majority of people who live in East Greensboro are black. And so from that perspective, I've, I've seen just in those presentations, a lot of progress from an economic perspective and how much the city of Greensboro, for example, is investing East and how much um, entrepreneurs, um, Black and other, are investing East. And so I think, yes, there is some progress in the organizations that I work with. I'm seeing um, people beginning to wrap inclusion and equity within the strategy of their organizations, not just for the now, but for the long-term. I'm seeing organizations or leaders within organizations being more comfortable just in saying the word black. Because once again, I believe in the United States, we've been socialized to say like people of color or um, African-American or people are just afraid to talk and, and to speak very candidly. So to me, that is progress, being able to have open conversations. Um, there's one organization in particular that I'm, that I'm working with and they have, I think, made tons of progress just in making sure that they're baking in strategic targets for recruitment specifically for um, Black staff members in the organization. Um, but they're doing it in more of a, a partnership format versus we need to do this because there was a racial reckoning, but really taking the time to figure out why there has been a gap in recruitment of black people within the organization and then figuring out, you know, well, what are we losing in that? What are we losing for our organization? And how can we create partnerships versus a transaction. And I would encourage organizations to think about how can you partner and bake diversity, equity, and inclusion, whichever those three words work for you within the strategy of your organization and then target the impact or target the progress so that we can collectively answer the question that you just asked. Mm -hmm. I, you know, what I've noticed as well is that um, I, I like what you said about in baking inclusion into the strategy. Um, because then that means that it, it reaches every aspect of the organization. I've noticed that companies have started to, in, um, to incorporate um, inclusion more intentionally in their talent retention and talent recruitment as well, which I think is so significant, but that's, I, I think, a part of what you're saying. So is there anything that, that you think employers need to focus on, um, focus more on as, as we move forward? You know, one of the, the biggest things I believe to focus on is really looking inwardly at your current staff and consistently asking them questions about what they can offer the organization and not only looking like outside of the organization. Because there's some, some groups that I'm working with, they've had a DEI committee or a task force for, let's say, years 
but the organization had hadn't seen them as as people who can contribute to the change within the organization. Um, not only is it cost effective, but it also helps with um, internal professional development. So there, you know, definitely should be some coaching involved, some you know support for them via professional development. But I think looking inwardly to assure your staff, like what do you need and what's happening within the organization, really listening inwardly because there are people who have so much talent and. Um, not just in creating more diversity, equity, and inclusion, but within their particular you know, area of expertise. Um, I think tapping into affinity groups or employee resource groups are helpful, but doing it in a more innovative and um, a more innovative way um, and not an antiquated way. So with employee resource groups, I think those are great ways for not only you know, your affinity groups via race or gender to come together um, by themselves, but I think they should merge and then talk about, as I mentioned, those cultural cues or you know, those cultural components and then work with the organization to help change the organization. Um, another piece of advice I would say is, you know, your HR department cannot do everything. HR professionals, if they're not trained in how to um, provide professional development, consult and provide strategy support for a more inclusive and equitable environment, don't give them that title unless you're going to give them that training. Um, and not only the training, but also compensation. So I see a lot of organizations where um, people have a dual role because they want to work inwardly, but then you're working people to the point where they can't do both jobs really well. Mm -hmm. um, and then lastly, you know, I really, really firmly believe in the power of partnerships and relationships and not just, you know, moving toward um, saying you want to partner just for the, the current transaction, but to really <clears throat> build relationship with people in a more of a coalition fashion. So understanding what everyone's agenda is up front and having candid conversations in order to move the, the needle. And specifically, I would say the, the, the needle for the black community in the United States, or maybe just focus on you know locally, but constantly come to the conversation. So for example, with the inner city visits, as we talked about that earlier, there's a follow-up conversation, I think in a week or so, mm -hmm. you know, what now? But then there should be another follow-up conversation next quarter because this conversation that we're having about East Greensboro or Invest East is something that I've heard ever since I've been in Greensboro. And so we're not consistently measuring the, 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 the impact, or as you mentioned, the progress, we'll forget about it and we won't focus on it as much. So those are a few, a few tidbits of, of what I think people can, can do to not just increase diversity, equity, and inclusion, but to be very, very intentional um, and not be afraid to target populations that you see a gap in and also to celebrate who's already within your organization. Diversity, once again, doesn't mean any and everything that's not white. Now, if that's what you're wanting to do, then just say that. But our firm truly believes that everyone can bring something to the table and, and move towards solutions for a more equitable and profitable and effective organization. Great, great nuggets, um, Jada. I, I have one last question, and I know you, you kind of touched on this a bit, but how can individual employees contribute to making their workplaces more equitable? 
I think one of the first things, and, and we, we teach this in our ABCs. So we have um, like ABCs of community building within our Sharpen Your Inclusion Edge course and, and text. And the, the E is elevate. And I believe that every individual should create their own journey of discovery to, to educate and elevate themselves um, about diversity, equity, or, or inclusion, to make sure that they understand what it is that, um, that they can do better within their work. So if you're a teacher, don't wait for your principal or your head of school to say, now we are introducing culturally responsive curriculum. Go ahead and do the research yourself. I mean, th there's so many free resources. There's so many, you know, audio books to lean into that conversation yourself and to, to talk to people as you're, you know, leaning into it, your colleagues. If you are, um, let's say, a middle manager and you're having trouble with uh, a certain subset based on some cultural differences, um, then do your own research and then possibly change the way that you are having conversations with certain employees. Maybe you need to have more one-on-ones, maybe those one-on-ones, um, maybe you're having them during a significant cultural or religious time frame. Like let's talk about, uh, for example, most performance reviews come all at once for organizations. And maybe you need to look at the, the, the cultural, religious and spirituality calendar for the US, for example, and, and there are tons of calendars you can Google and, and see, well, maybe this particular employee, they're not leaning in every single year, but maybe they're fasting. So I think part of it is just really, you know, digging into how you can learn more about people and, um, and research, research yourselves. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I've found very, very helpful um, is really kind of leaning into uncomfortable situations and talking to people that I know who are very different from me, but I may not have like a really close relationship with them just to learn more about their culture and to learn more about some of the, um, some of the barriers that they may have in the workplace. Um, just so I can understand, you know, people better. Um, so those are a few things that, that I can recommend. If an organization, another thing I would say organizationally, if, if you are experiencing um, discrimination, you believe discrimination or um, bias that's preventing you from being successful in the organization, definitely write down everything write down everything and talk to your supervisor or talk to whatever channels that are in place because saying that you feel a certain way or that you you know you know something's not right when I talk to x person that doesn't help the next person help you so I used to coach individuals I used to be a, um, a DEI coach for a couple of organizations and some employees would say, you know, Jada, I just don't feel like, you know, my, my boss likes me, or I feel like this organization just treats X people different. And I would always ask them, well, what's your evidence? What's your, you know, what has happened? And immediately, I think people get defensive when you ask for evidence. But if you have a child and you say, hey, and your child comes to you and your child is like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm being treated differently in the classroom by my teacher. The first thing a parent is going to say, what happened? How did they treat you differently? What did they do? And my parents will say, well, what did you do first? <laughs> so, and, and there's nothing wrong with that line of questioning. So in short, make sure you have evidence when you are, you know, 
wanting to take a next step if you feel like you're not treating, being treated fairly in the organization. Um, because that not only is helpful for you, but it's also helpful for, let's say, the people that you feel like aren't treating you fairly, because then they can see, oh, wow, this is what happened. Well, this was the intent. This was the impact. But now I see why you would, you would feel this way, given what I said. This is not what I meant. Or it could be the reverse. It could be what they meant as a problem. But I think that's something that is very, very, very helpful for employees to do on their own. Awesome. Jada, this has been like a, it's been a short and powerful conversation. There is a ton for, I think, our listeners to learn and to take away. I'm sure there will be pen and paper out as people listen. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for um, sharing so much of your wisdom with us. Um, how can our audience learn more about you and your business? You are welcome. It's been a pleasure. Um, you can visit Social Designs Consulting. Dot com. We um, are open to conversations. You know, people just want to have a consultation and say, hey, this is what I'm going through and I don't know what to do. Um, we also have tons of resources online on YouTube. So if you go to our YouTube channel, you'll see um, diversity and inclusion videos. Um, there's also an upcoming inclusion and innovation conference in October. Um, the date to, to be announced soon. Um, so you can visit bloominclusion.com to learn about that conference. And you can follow me on all social media um, platforms, Jada Monica Drew. Excellent. Thank you again. That's it for us today. To learn more about the Chamber's commitment to anti-racism, visit greensboro.org forward slash equity. Have a great day. This podcast is brought to you by TrueLiant Federal Credit Union, a modern, mission-driven financial institution focused on the needs of its members, the businesses it serves, and our community. With five locations in Guilford County, including a dedicated commercial lending office at Friendly Center and a highly rated mobile banking app, TrueLiant makes it their business to help you grow yours. Visit TrueLiant.org for more information. You can find all of our episodes on YouTube thanks to our video sponsor, North State. Make sure to subscribe so you'll get new episodes delivered to your device each week. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at GSO Chamber. See you next time.